Father in heaven, you are perfect in all your ways. And you are a good, good father. And you've been so awesome and you've been so good to us. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest reasons you're so good. Because you made a way for our salvation. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We proclaim your goodness. That you are good and your mercy endures forever. And you're an awesome, amazing God. And we give you all honor, all glory, and all praise. Lord, we worship you. We worship you now through song, in your presence, studying your word. Please touch our hearts this morning. And Lord, if there be anybody in in this place that's not born again, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you'll bring it home today. And you'll let them see your great love displayed at the cross. Lord, do what only you can do. Your Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, please work in each and every life. Break down the barriers. Let people see clearly spiritual truth. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Good to see everyone this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. It's that time of year. It's the, it's the believer's favorite season, I like to call it. What is next Sunday? Easter. Next Sunday, uh, we celebrate Easter. It's going to be next Sunday, man. We are, are going to be rocking it out. We are going to be celebrating. We are going to be rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's going to be amazing. But to rightfully celebrate and experience the joy of Resurrection Sunday, you have to go through the cross. Okay? If we, if we just jump straight into the resurrection, you might feel a little happy. You might be like, yay, we got hope. But you don't fully imp- understand the impact and the joy and the celebration of the resurrection until you understand what happened on that Good Friday. There are two apexes in Christianity, they're, and they're separated by three days. This is everything from Genesis to Revelation. This is what you need to know. You, you got to get a hold of this before you step into eternity, or you'll be in big trouble, okay? You'll be in big trouble, and you'll miss the whole meaning of life while you're here on earth. You need to understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins on that Good Friday, And sometimes we have to go back and look at the scriptures to get a fresh picture in our minds to understand the cross, to understand what happened on that Good Friday at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And then, you know, we see all these paintings of pictures of the cross, and they're on this nice grassy knoll, and it's this beautiful cross, and the sun is setting, and it's all beautiful. But that Good Friday was nothing like that. It was a very dark day. And you have to go through that dark day to experience the joy and the awe and the majesty and the excitement of Resurrection Sunday. So this morning, 
We are going back. We're taking a break from our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation for our visitors. We've been going through the book of Revelation verse-by-verse, but we're taking a break this Sunday and next Sunday to look at the two apexes, I like to call them, the cross today and the resurrection next Sunday. And today, we're just going to, Jesus made seven statements from the cross. And today, we're going to look at the first four. And then Friday night, this coming Friday night, our Good Friday service, we're going to look at the final three statements Jesus made from the cross. And then we will celebrate um, by partaking of communion. So with that said, let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we look at your word this morning, as we look at the statements you made from the cross, Lord, help our hearts to be humbled. Help our hearts to be quiet. And help us to see you there on that hill called Golgotha, hanging on that cross, like those disciples were, like the the, the ladies that were named Mary were there, and they heard you utter these seven statements. Lord, let us take them to heart this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. No words Jesus spoke were useless or said in vain. There is a deep theological and life-changing truth behind each statement the Lord Jesus Christ made from the cross. Every, each, each seven statement, I could spend a Sunday on each and every statement. That's how much there is in each statement he made from the cross. There's deep theological truth. There's tons of application, okay? And it's, it's, it's an amazing when you understand what he said and the meaning behind his statements that he made as he hung between those two thieves. Jesus was crucified on a hill called Calvary. Uh, The church father Jerome in AD 346 wrote that it was a place of execution. The, The skulls of previously executed criminals were thrown across the site. It was a place of execution and death. It was a hideous place. It was a dark place. That's why they call it the place of the skull. It was very dark. It was a very, it was a place where criminals were crucified. People were dragged outside the city. The uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was taken outside the city to be crucified. Why was he taken outside the city? For sanitary reasons. Because it was such a gruesome event. And it was such a heinous event that he had to be taken outside the city to where the dumps were, to where Golgotha was to be crucified. It's a tough place. And family, we have to go through this because once you go through this and once you understand the cross, man, man, you, y'all going to be doing the Holy Ghost hot next Sunday because you're going to be rejoicing and you're going to have joy-filled hearts as you celebrate his victory and his resurrection from the dead. But our Savior, there on the cross, after he had been beaten, scourged, ripped to pieces, and stripped of his clothing, he was crucified. Christ spoke seven statements. And if you will take them to heart this morning, they will change your life. So let's look at the words this morning that Jesus spoke from the cross. The first statement is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What is happening here as Jesus is making this statement? It's simple. Jesus is praying for the soldiers. Now, who are these soldiers? These soldiers that Jesus is praying for as he's hanging on the cross, these are the soldiers that beat him to a bloody pulp. 
These are the soldiers that forced him to carry his cross. These are the soldiers that drove the spikes into his feet and his hands. These guys, in the natural mind, would be people you hate, would be people you despise. We would consider them enemies. But what is our Lord and Savior, the King of glory, the Lord of love doing? He's praying. He's praying for these men that are, that are putting him to death. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. J.C. Ryle says, these words were probably, these words, talking about the first statement. J.C. says, these words were probably spoken while our Lord was being nailed to the cross, possibly when he was being nailed to the cross, or as soon as the cross was reared up on its end. It is worthy of remark that as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. So Jesus, our great high priest, the one that's praying for us, you know, he didn't wait to get to heaven to start praying for us. He was actually praying for sinners on the cross. And what's he praying for? He's praying for their salvation. He's praying for their salvation. You see, these, these, these uh, soldiers, they were acting in ignorance. They were acting in ignorance. It was just a, a, another day at the office. You know, and we do the same thing when we live separated from God and we're, and we're not born again. We're, we're walking in ignorance. You know, what we need is our hearts and our minds opened up so we can see the truth of the gospel. So he's praying for them. By the way, this is a fulfillment of prophecy, this first statement. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So Jesus is praying for them there at the cross. And another added note is this very first prayer that Jesus utters from the cross, it was answered. It was answered. Mark tells us in Mark 15, 39, when the centurion's who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last breath. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So you have God the Son praying to God the Father. And even there on crucifixion day, you have people realizing and understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is God. What is the application for us today on this first statement that, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing? The first application today is this. We need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is our great high priest today in heaven, and he is praying for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the scripture says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's he praying for? What is Jesus praying for up in heaven for us today? Family, he's praying, and you could put your name in there. He's praying for you, and he's praying for your sanctification. He's praying for your sanctification, that you will grow in holiness, that you will grow in your love for him, that you will grow in your devotion to him. He's praying that your eyes will be opened to the truth of the gospel and to the truth of scripture. Second thing we learned today is, is, is the overall theme of this statement, which is this is the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is we are to forgive each other. We are to be a forgiving people. We need to remember that. It's so easy in our world to hold things over people's heads and not forgive them. Our Savior 
set the example in, in exercising forgiveness for other people. And you and I need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. We need to be a forgiving people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So the first thing our Savior is teaching us there at the cross is to be a forgiving people, to forgive people, to, to be forgiving. That's the heart and soul of Christianity is that we forgive each other. Let's look at the second statement. The second statement is found in Luke chapter 23, verses 40 through 43. It says, do you not even fear God? Jesus is between two criminals. There's two criminals to his left and right. And he says in Luke 23, 40, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says these words to him. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what do we have? We have two criminals here. These two criminals represent all humanity. One mocks Christ, one rejects Christ, and the other puts his trust in Christ there at the cross. The first criminal hurls abuse and says there, um, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. So he's mocking him. The second criminal rebukes the first criminal, and then he turns around, the second criminal, and he places his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ there at the cross. So, so there's three things I see in this statement. And really, we're not looking at, we're just looking at Jesus' statement in verse 43 where he says, Truly I say to you, today you will be in paradise. What are the three things that we can learn from this statement? First, we learn here we see the destination of Christians at death. Okay? He says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, that word paradise means a perfect place. That means a place where there's no disease, no sickness, no death. Jesus said in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. The Bible teaches us that there are three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere that encircles the earth. The second heaven is the universe that's endless in every direction. But the Bible says there's a place called the third heaven. And that's this place called paradise that's talked about in scripture. Paul says in his epistle to the Corinthians, he says, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, but God knows such one, he says it, the words, was caught up to the third heaven. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And by the way, there is no soul sleep. He says there in, in verse 43, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death for the Christian is just a little blip, a little boop, a little speed bump. And the, the moment you close your eyes in this life and your heart stops beating, the spirit person inside of you will leave this shell that you're in right now and will go immediately, immediately 
to this place called the third heaven, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, that we'll be studying more about when we get to Revelation chapter 20. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if that's not enough, you turn over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul talks about his desire. He, he's, Paul is struggling in Philippians chapter 1 about um, whether to stay on earth. His desire is to stay on earth and help the church grow. Or because of all his suffering and difficulties he was going through, He's like, man, I'm ready, to go. I'm ready to go be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says he desires to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better. So absent from the body, present with the Lord. The best is yet to come, heaven. The second thing that this statement teaches us in verse 43 is this. I believe a person can get saved on their deathbed. You know, uh, people ask me a lot of times, man, what, what, I, I've actually gone to the hospital and visited with people on their deathbed that were, were, that were hours or days within passing away. And they're like, well, you know, well, God accept me. Can I, can I, can I put my trust in Christ? And I'm like, yes. Well, how do you know that? Where does it say that in the Bible? I'm like, just look at the thief on the cross. The, look at the thief on the cross. This, this, this criminal this hanging to the left or right of Jesus, he is He's within hours of death. He, he, he is within hours of death. And this was a condemned criminal. In our day, if this was happening today, this person speaking uh, would be someone on death row. This would be someone on death row. And this is why we evangelize right up until the point of death. As long as a person has breath in their lungs and they're still alive, they can still surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and put their trust in him. The third thing that this statement teaches us is that Jesus spoke, truly I say to you today, you'll be in paradise. This is clear evidence in the scripture for justification by faith. For justification by faith. This was a condemned criminal. He had no good works. He was part of no church. He had no religious background. He hadn't taken communion. Uh, this is where criminals were put put to death, and all he does is, he says it in verse 42, that the criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some translations will say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confessed Jesus as Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. And Jesus, you don't get no greater affirmation of salvation than this, than the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus, the Son of God, saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So you're not saved by communion. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by church membership. You're saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Jesus establishes that very doctrine that Paul so elaborately, beautifully lays out in the book of Romans, even here on the cross. So that's what he teaches us in this statement. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is real. Um, a person can get, if a person still has breath, they can trust, put their trust in Christ and, and justification by faith is the way to be saved. Let's look at the third statement. 
The third statement comes from John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, where um, the scripture says, And when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciples, Behold your mother. Now, Jesus and his enemies were not the only people there at this place called Golgotha. They weren't the only spectators. They weren't the only one present. According to the, the previous verse, John 19.25, John 19.25 tells us that Jesus' mother, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, and John were there. Luke chapter 23, verse 49 tells us that the rest of the disciples watched from a distance. They were off in the shadows. They were off behind some buildings. They were off, they were, it just says they were off in a distance watching what was taking place. But we know that Mary, the Marys, multiple Marys, and John were there very, very close. And the, uh, the pain of watching Jesus suffer <clears throat> was agonizing. This is the same Lord Jesus that welcomed the little children. This is the same Jesus that went around healing all who were oppressed. This was the same Jesus that went around doing good and healing people and preaching the gospel. And now he is undergoing Roman crucifixion. Roman crucifixion uh, was created by the Persians about four centuries before the cross. And by time of the first century, the Romans had uh, perfected Roman crucifixion. And the intent was to maximize pain on criminals so that all the people around would see what was taking place there. And it would deter them from breaking the law or rebelling against Rome. You know, Jesus went down the Via Della Rosa, and, they, and they, they said he had a sign, Jesus, King of the Jews. Many, many scholars believe that, they, that the Roman soldiers carried that sign because it was a statement to all the people that watched as he went from uh, where he was uh, beaten to where he was crucified to say, this is what will happen to you if you rebel against us. And now Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's in deep pain. She's in deep sorrow. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 34 through 35, early on in the Gospels, uh, Simeon made a prophecy to her, spoke a prophecy to Mary. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34 through 35, it says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and here it is, guys, family, a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. A dagger is going through Mary's heart at this point at the cross. She is being crushed. She sees her son there suffering. A dagger is piercing her heart as she witnesses her firstborn son whom she had raised from childhood, undergoing the tortures of Roman crucifixion. It was tough. It was challenging for her. But here's what you need to understand in the Gospels. You have to zoom out and look at the big picture. What's taking place between Mary and Jesus? 
a new relationship is forming. It, that, that weekend of the cross and the resurrection, the relationship between Mary and Jesus was changing. Jesus was going from being her son that she cared for to her Lord and her Savior. And that was what, that's, I believe, what took her through. That's what helped her understand the gospel. This statement, uh, woman, behold your son, he said to the disciple, behold your mother, this, this statement reflects um, the tender love, the tender love Jesus had for his mother. And he's committing, remember what John was? John was who? He was the beloved disciple. He was the, the disciple that, that, he, he, that loved him, and he loved him more. And it says, but anyway, he's committing his closest disciple to the care of his mother. What does this teach you and I today? What's the application from this statement from Jesus uh, to Mary and John, this teaches you and I that God is compassionate. This teaches you and I that God is loving. This teaches you and I that God is caring and that he takes care of his children. He knows you and I better than we know ourselves. And we can trust him because he's a good, good father and he will take care of us in this life. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You can trust the Lord for every area of your life, from your finances to your home, to your family, to your children, to your parents, to everything there is in life that, that could possibly concern us. We can trust him that he will take care of us and that his sovereign will will prevail. We can lay our heads on our pillows at night and sleep in peace because he is Lord of the universe and he is Lord of our lives. And he took care of Mary. Church history tells us, uh, the church fathers tell us that uh, Mary went on to be with John and she lived in Ephesus where she eventually uh, passed away. And we know that John was at Ephesus and was removed from Ephesus and taken to the island of Patmos. But church history tells us that, uh, that John and Mary outlived them all. They, they lived the longest. And how appropriate, how, 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 how awesome is that to see God's sovereignty that he commits his mother, he commits mom, he's taking care of mom. He says, you know what, I'm going to keep John around the longest, so I'm going to commit John to taking care of my mom. And he does exactly that to well into the, to the rest of that century. Let's look at the fourth statement this morning, the fourth and final statement this morning. Now is when it gets dark. It comes from Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 and 46. Matthew 27, 45 says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Volumes of commentaries have been written on this, on this one statement. This one statement is the heart and soul of the gospel. I was reading several commentaries this, this week, and several commentators, one commentator called his commentary on this passage, says, this is the darkest hour. Another uh, uh, preacher said, this is a petition to the Father. Another great uh, church father said, 
These are the words of anguish. But you need to understand that as we look at this verse, this is Jesus' darkest hour. This, This is the reason he came was to die on the cross for your sin so that you and I could be forgiven of all of our lying, stealing, adultery, and all of breaking God's law and breaking God's commandments. Jesus came to pay the price for the sin of the world, and this is where it's taking place. So what's happening here as Jesus is there on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is expressing his feelings of abandonment as the Father places on him the sin of the world. Jesus is experiencing the full and complete wrath of God for every sin you have ever committed. Every sin was placed on him. Just imagine in your mind, planet Earth, Jesus is there dying on the cross, and imagine this, this funnel, the size of the universe, just all coming down to one point. And at the end of that point is the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God being sacrificed for your sin. Just as the Lamb in the Old Testament was placed on the brazen altar and consumed by the flames there in the Old Testament, there in the tabernacle, there in the temple, so Jesus was placed on the altar of Calvary and consumed for our sin. Whose plan was this? Whose plan was this to crucify Jesus? Acts chapter 2 Verse 23, Peter informs us, this was the Father's plan. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. This statement, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, uh, why hast thou forsaken me? This statement expresses the deepest truth of the cross. He died for our sin. God the Father is punishing his own son as if he had committed every wicked deed done by every sinner. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, speaks of this very fact. Isaiah 53.10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Again, Jesus was crushed at the cross. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God was crushed. He was put to grief, and he was made a guilt offering. You see, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, how was sin atoned for? By the lambs being sacrificed, by by the sacrifices in the tabernacle, by the sacrifices in the temple. But all of those were just temporary coverings. They all pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. He was the guilt offering. So it's like, imagine today, like you were back in the Old Testament, instead of bringing a lamb to the temple for sacrifice, you come to the temple of God and you say, they say, what do you, what do, what do, you do for your sin? What, what, where's your sacrifice? And you, Christian, today, Jesus is my sacrifice. Jesus is my Lord. And you're completely forgiven by trusting 
and the eternal covenant that Jesus made for us there at the cross. Um, God did this so, so that he could forgive us, so that he could redeem us, and at the same time, maintain his justice by punishing sin. In other words, Jesus took the bullet for us. He took the punishment that was coming our way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, talking about propitiation, talking about uh, being forgiven by his sacrifice, Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what we mean when we say Jesus died on the cross for our sin, is that we are sinners and that we have broken God's law and that we have broken his commandments and we've gone astray. And there has to be a sacrifice for your sin. Without no sacrifice for your sin, there is no forgiveness. But if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, he becomes your sacrifice and he washes away all sin. That's the glorious good news of this statement. This statement teaches us, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabbathani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This statement teaches us today that Jesus paid the ultimate price there at the cross. The perfect one who knew no sin came to be the sacrifice. You see, God knew what, God knew what we needed. In, the, in, in eternity past, he planned to sin because we, we can't make a sacrifice because we're not perfect. You know, we're sinners. But there had to be a pure sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. So God looks at his son from eternity past and makes a plan. Lord Jesus, son of God, second member of the Trinity, you will go to earth and you will pay the price for their sin. It was a very, very dark day as, as they... They remember, they, they, they followed him for three and a half years. They, they abandoned their fishing nets. They abandoned being a tax collector. They, they abandoned their careers. They put their hopes in the Lord Jesus. For three and a half years, they followed him. They thought their, their, their thinking was wrong. They, they, they thought that he was going to come and liberate them from the tyranny of Rome. And he was going to set up his kingdom. But on that Friday, the disciples not only was the Lord Jesus Christ crushed by the Father for the sin of the world, but the disciples were crushed. The one they had put their hope in was dead and hanging on a cross. The deepest, darkest despair you could imagine in the human mind was what these guys were experiencing. It was a very dark day. You know, the, the scripture doesn't tell us, and this is just me thinking, but what was it like on that Saturday between Good Friday and Sunday? What was it like on that Saturday, you think? Perplexed? Shock? Awe? They're looking at each other like, man, what just happened? You know, they had been crushed. Their hopes were dashed. 
They were not expecting the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that when the women went to the tomb, what were they taking with them? Spices. What are spices used for? Spices were used to prepare the body for burial. They weren't going there to see the resurrection. They were going there to prepare the body. It was this deep, dark place of despair that took place on Friday and Saturday. And friends, as Christians today, we need to understand uh, what happened on that Friday and Saturday so that, man, come Sunday morning, come Resurrection Sunday, we can celebrate and we can rejoice because the one that was crucified, he is no longer dead, but he is risen That is the gospel. When you rightly understand Good Friday and what happened on that Friday, it makes the Resurrection Sunday glorious. It makes it beautiful. It's more than having a family meal. It's more than going Easter egg hunting. It is the day we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ's triumphal victory um, and the, the, the triumphal victory over death, hell, and the grave. And as we go through this I want to encourage you guys, as we go through this upcoming Passion Week, and I hope you're reading about the cross and meditating on those passages and thinking about what was taking place, reflect on the great sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me. Understand. In other words, get low. Get low and understand what happened on that Good Friday and understand how the Savior was crushed. And then when you get low and then then Sunday morning happens, he is not, the, the, the angel says, he is not here, for he has risen. It makes our hearts celebrate. And it makes our hearts joyful when we understand Jesus, the Lamb of God, placed on the brazen altar of Calvary for our sin. The sacrifice has been made, friend. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And you have his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Rejoice. Rejoice in the resurrection after you've gone through Calvary. This coming Friday, Good Friday, uh, we will sing songs. We will look at the final three statements that Jesus made on the cross, and then we will celebrate with communion. The, The final three statements, in case you're wondering if you don't know them, The final three statements he makes from the cross after these four, he says, I am thirsty. This is the one who offered living water to the woman at the well. This is the one that says, come all you who are thirsty and I will fill you. But now he is thirsty. It is finished. What is finished? We'll talk about that Friday night. What is finished? And then a a word of faith, a word of committing himself to the Father. He says the final statements before he passes at Calvary was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So we're taking this little dive this Sunday. We're looking at the cross. Friday night we're going to continue to look at the cross. We're going to close Friday night with communion. And then next Sunday morning we're going to come in here and we are going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ we're going to celebrate it, what it means. What does, what does the resurrection of Christ from the dead tell us about Calvary? What, what does it speak to us? i got a few minutes here. Number one, the resurrection of Christ 
It validates everything Jesus said in the Gospels. Without a resurrection, everything else is meaningless. But because of the resurrection, it validates the word of God. It validates everything Jesus says. It means that we can trust in everything we read about our Lord and Savior in the Gospels. The, the resurrection from the dead, it also it, it, uh, it validates the work of the cross. If you're a believer in Christ, friend, let there be no doubt. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the resurrection of Christ uh, brings us hope. It brings us the hope and the, the assurance of eternal life. And it brings us peace of mind in this life, knowing that we're serving the true and living God. You know, all the other major founders of the religions, Muhammad, Buddha, all of them, you can, you can go over to Columbia Airport, you can get on an airplane, you can go to a foreign country, to a foreign city, get a taxi cab, and you can drive to where the bones of those people are buried today. Okay? Well, you know what? You won't find Jesus' bones nowhere because he is risen from the dead. And that, that's, that's why when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, that's why he says he's the way, the truth, the life. Why? Because he rose from the grave. So family, as we, as we begin this Passion Week, reflect this week on the great sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. Join us Friday night for communion, scripture reading, and singing some songs about the cross. And then next Sunday morning, let, let, let's bring the house down. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for... Um, how awesome and how amazing you are. And Lord, before any of us in this room were even born, before we came into existence, you already had the plan in place for our salvation. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. And Father, thank you for your resurrection from the dead. And Lord, if there be anyone here that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. I pray today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day that they put their trust in you, put their belief in you, take that first step of faith by saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe. I put my trust in you. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, I pray.